they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Bilodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got a hit. Yes! Sally Stable, 132.67 has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Beauty! On the ice with the Gimlet. The Gimlet scoping! Welcome back to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast, an award-winning Olympics podcast. And I could not be more excited uh, for a few reasons. One, we're getting to talk to some more athletes here who actually competed in Beijing recently. Uh, We recorded this not long after our guest actually came back from Beijing. Uh, Secondly, we're talking to another mogul skier, which uh, I have said time and time again on the show is my absolute favorite sport in the world. Not even just Olympic sport, just sport, period. And Sophie Ash is our guest today, who is an Australian mogul skier that competed in Beijing and actually had fantastic results finishing in the top 16. I have to say that uh, Sophie proved that not only is moguls the greatest sport known to man, but that mogul skiers might be the most entertaining guest known to man. Because this is a fantastic interview. We get to go through not only her history in the sport and how she got into mogul skiing, uh, but talk about uh, her unique experience in Beijing, which also included being able to be there with one of her siblings competing in a different event, as well as a lot of the uh, success that she's had away from the sport uh, in animation and in art. And obviously, we're going to challenge her to uh, submit some pictures as far as our final set of questions we're going to have later on. Even if you've heard our other Moguls interviews before, I mean, this is definitely one that uh, you want to listen to because we get to ask Sophie about a lot of different uh, things involving the sport that we've never been able to ask other athletes before, including what her thoughts are on a second Moguls event potentially being added. And we give her a couple of options on what that could be and uh, provides her some really entertaining answers from her. So uh, let's get into it right now. Our interview with Australian Olympic Mogul skier Sophie Ash. Well, I, of course, myself, I'm always thrilled to have any mogul skier on the show because it is my number one favorite sport literally in the world. And uh, I can now check the box off and say that I've interviewed more Australian mogul skiers than I have even Canadian, uh, which is crazy. (laughs) And today we have uh, Australian mogul skier Sophie Ash, who uh, you probably very recently saw in the 2020 Beijing Olympics, uh, where she actually had uh, finished 16th place overall. And uh, was that a career best for you? Can you confirm that? Well, it's close, not quite, but it's definitely in the ballpark of close yeah, that, that general area. Yeah, 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 which was very exciting for us to watch. And, you know, I'm sure everybody who listens to our show a long time uh, heard all our excitement about that. But uh, we're thrilled to have Sophie on the show today. Sophie, thanks for joining us on Off the Podium. Yay. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love um, podcast interviews and videos. First time I've done a podcast video or whatever you want to call this. Uh, yeah, but I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, nice. And, and like I said, I moguls, I mean, I'm in Canada and I probably would, you know, be arrested for saying this, but uh, if I had to choose between watching just random weekly World Cup moguls event or watching the Stanley Cup finals, I would choose the World Cup moguls yes. event. 
Uh, it's so obscure. No one ever says moguls. They always pick something else. I'm so glad oh, you love moguls. I mean, you, you can see, you, you can probably see the, the people watch this. You can see behind my shoulder. I've got pictures from the Calgary park. I've got some yeah. deferral point sisters, Mikel Kingsbury picture there. <laughs> so yeah. Number one favorite sport for me uh, with Australia though. I mean, obviously it's not quite as uh, you know, big as it is here in Canada or maybe don't have as much snow would be a big part of it. But uh, mm-hmm. how did you become involved in the sport in the first place? Uh, well, when I was really young, like two years old, I started skiing uh, at Mount Buller, which is in Victoria, which is near where I live now currently. Um, I was there for quite a while, like a number of years. I went through the program. I did la- yeah, ski school and then I did uh, a few other programs here and there, kind of race club and like freestyle related stuff. And then kind of went overseas a few times during like the summer just to like get my skills going I went to you know Colorado Whistler so I did go to Canada I went to America um never Europe though um but it was really really good to do that because like then I kind of got used to skiing different trains and like I also got really good coaching some Richard Haslow was a guy I used to go over with he's a um he used to be a race club Mount race club coach not sure what he does now but he does programs there overseas uh, so I did that for a few years and then uh, into schools, which is another thing that we do in Australia, um, which everybody, well, most skiers and snowboarders do throughout school. It's just like a rite of passage, really. Um, and then basically joined Team Bull Riders uh, in 20, uh, 2011. Sorry, it's like a long like timeline. I'm like trying to think of when things started, when things stopped. Did the um, stuff with TBR. Um, then I moved up to Parisha, which is in New South Wales. Uh, did that for the Parisha Winter Sports Club. It was really great. I did that. And I basically did that all the way through till I got into the New South Wales Institute of Sport, made it into the Australian team, the national Australian team officially. Uh, and then I did that basically from 2017 or 16, one of those years I started in the national team. And then I basically moved into World Cup and then I did World Cup and then I went to the Olympics. So that was kind of the mm-hmm. progression. Yeah. That was a big, that was a big story. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I mean, it, it sounds like it's a lot, yeah. but I mean, you're still very young. So, I mean, how much time does that really cover from like the first time you really started skiing up until you're mm-hmm. on the World Cup circuit? Um, I guess it's been, well, 23 years <laughs> ever since I was two. So I know some people say, oh, you know, um, 20 years to, I've been skiing for 20 years. I, I have been skiing for 20 years as well, but like my whole life, I guess, because I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, that age. So. It, it's <laughs> always, <laughs> it's always crazy for me. Uh, every time we get a skier on here, whether it be ski jumping, cross-country skiing, moguls, they always say, you know, I started at two or three years old. And I mean, again, I live in Canada. Skiing is part of our gym class here. And yeah. yet I can't fathom doing this, you know, even when I was like 12, 13 years old and it was mandatory. I'm like, this is awful. Like, how does <laughs> some, I, I can never understand how a two-year-old does it. Do you remember, you know, your first time on skis or does it go even further back than you can remember? Oh, honestly, I remember this very vivid memory of losing my glove on the um, magic carpet, which is this thing you go on and you, I think you yeah. probably have one of those uh, in Canada too, wherever. Um, yeah. I lost my ski glove. The ski glove got ripped up and it was just shredded. So I had no glove for the day and I was like, Oh no, but also I didn't really care because it was Mount Buller and it's about five degrees every day and the sun's giving you sunburn. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was a memory I had, but everything was pretty good. I remember, um, always enjoying it or just 
always doing it in something else and always looking forward to hot chocolate breaks, but not necessarily loving it to death, <laughs> but loving it enough to keep going. <laughs> but kids are kids, you know. Yeah. They don't really know what they're doing. You just do stuff and you think, oh, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and was it something where you always had the aspirations that you wanted to get into this, you know, amateur, professional, whatever? Because uh, I know that your sister is a skier too. I mean, is this something that your, your parents push for? Is it run in the family or did it just sort of luck out that you and your sister both were incredible on skis and your parents were like, yeah, there might be a future in this for them? Yeah, it was the, the last option for sure. I think they <laughs> they always did it. They did it when they were um, younger, not as young as us, um, obviously, but different opportunities back then, I suppose, um, in Australia. But um, yeah, we just did it and we kind of went through the program together and I think we just kept doing it because we were actually both pretty decent at it and we loved it enough to, you know, not like, I think a lot of the time when kids do sports, they think, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And you just don't ever keep going. Cause they're like 10 year olds sick of going in the snow and they want to, <laughs> you know, do other stuff. But we was like, it wasn't really like that with us, but I know my sister moved into different sports. Um, and I did skiing throughout the whole time. Uh, throughout my whole life really um but then she came back to it in the end so I think it was she had more of a detour trying different sports um yeah back back in the day so I'm gonna uh, have a couple questions about um you, you and your sister a little bit later on but just one thing to kind of get out of the way here I mean we, we just came off of the Beijing Olympics where obviously minimal crowds I mean more than they might have had in Tokyo uh, and a lot of people, I guess, didn't have like the family that they would normally would have had to come out for these events. But uh, you, you're kind of in this select club where you were lucky that uh, you you had a sibling there or somebody. Did you get to watch her events? Did she get to come see yours? Uh, yeah, she um, came to see my events, which was really cool. Um, I'm so happy she came. I actually didn't see hers, which is really sad. Um, we basically all left straight away. As soon as our event was over, we went home because of COVID risk. Because um, obviously, if you get there was already cases in the village, uh, even in the very at the very beginning. Uh, so we were like, okay, if, if one of us gets COVID, there are other people. Because we're all living together in a team, or like there was quite a few of us in this um, house we we're staying in. So if someone got it, they were done. They were like four years just gone. So there was this like responsibility you had not to be reckless, and you know, even if you wanted to stay on, there's still a risk you could give it to someone even if you weren't going out or whatever. So we just left straight away. So I didn't see her event, which is really sad, but I watched on television and I supported her that way. And all her friends came over and that was really fun. Yeah. So it was, I I saw it, but not in real life. Yeah. Here in Canada, this, it became a joke on our show, but the biggest news story for a week straight, even when we're winning medals, was the Deferla Point sisters, you know, basically comforting each other, Chloe comforting Justine, (laughs) Uh, which I can't even begin to say how much TV coverage I got, but it, it kind of occurred to me after a while. I mean, you know, this really is kind of a unique games where you don't necessarily have that same support there. But I mean, yeah. you you have a very large team in Australia that's able to compete in this. That's kind of the other thing that I find interesting is that even though Australia, you know, it's not this is four medals is really good for Australia in the Olympics. I mean, moguls is something you've always been very consistent in. You, you, you said you got to kind of all stay together, like as far as the moguls team, like you and Jakara and everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we all, we all, we all travel together quite a bit. We basically the last over the last few years, you know, COVID's existed. We haven't really seen anyone. We haven't really been able to socialize with other teams. So we've kind of been 
our own family and our own best friends, I guess you could say, like, we've got so close over that time as well, I think. And also, yeah, because of all the restrictions, we weren't really able to go home um, over those two years as well. And we would like be going, you know, we'd be hanging out together and then we would be able to go home. So then we'd just have each other and we'd talk to each other. So I guess it kind of felt like family was there in a way. And I'm glad that we all had that kind of like relationship in the end, because I think it was nice that we built that um, throughout that time. Yeah. Cause yeah. And what do you think it is with uh, Mogul specifically that they're just clicks in Australia? You know, obviously Dale Big Smith is a big one. We're going to have to ask about Dale later on. We're obligated to on the show. We named uh, our <laughs> daily award after him. I know, I love that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, obviously last time there was Matt Graham and, and Jakara did really well in Pyeongchang. And this time, obviously Jakara takes the gold. Uh, what is it specifically with moguls that is it just Australians are drawn to the, the thrill of it? Or is, is there uh, a big push with funding and talent scouting? Yeah, well, I think it's a bit of both. Like, I know a lot of people who were quite, I'd say compared to other teams, we're quite a mature team in the sense that we're all quite old, not really old, like, oh, 25, 26, 28, you know, oh, very old, but not really. But in moguls, that's quite old. So obviously we have a lot of experience as a team. uh, And I know some of the other people coming through, like, yeah, Jax, she's probably... She's not that old either, but she is still like not like I know there are people in two of her like 15. And then I know Cooper's coming through as well. And he, I think we've been really fortunate that we've had the older guys have kind of mentored the younger guys and everyone's just like basically there to help each other out and provide, you know, wisdom, words of wisdom every once in a while. Um, so I think that's a big factor. And also just, I think we've, there's been a lot of work to make our team kind of unified. And I think previously there's been times where people have, there's been a lot of drama or naturally, you know, there's been conflicts amongst the team members and people, everyone's very different, but I think we all want to make it work. And I think that's unique to our team. Like maybe it's just the time and place. And also obviously the coaches are great. And that's another thing I could go into, but that helps for sure. But I think you can have great coaches, but the team may not want to work or, you know, there's people who are conflicting, but that also works. That's another level, which makes it even better, I think. Yeah. And uh, one of the first people we interviewed on the show, I think one of the first winter athletes, and uh, now I think one of only two athletes we've interviewed multiple times, Britt Cox. You know, mm, she yeah. had an incredible amount of success. And, and there was a time uh, going to Pyeongchang where it looked like, okay, well, she's the only thing that, that is really going on the, the mogul team. And now everything's exploded. I can I can say just from having attended a lot of it, I, I try to go to Calgary every single year for it. You, know, you start to see... Uh, different personalities you with the, like the Japanese team they all sort of yeah. it's not just they stick together like there's a distinct personality and then the Canadian yeah, team yeah. and the Australian team as well uh, yeah, yeah. when when you did make this team uh, did you feel like it was different then than it is now like has there been more bonding now and more yes. pushing each other than there was originally a lot more yeah I think when I first got on the team there was kind of well I think throughout the time I've been on the team which has been since 27 2016 so what that's like I don't even know I'm really bad at maths six seven six seven I don't know. <laughs> under 10 years but just yeah. over five years whatever that period um, but I know initially when I came in it was quite traditional I'd say and things have definitely shifted a lot because some of our coaches have moved into different positions 
Um, I know that it was a lot more divided because we have a few different categories of people that we have OWI and then we have New South Wales Institute of Sport, OWI is Olympic Winter Institute um, of Australia. So they're meant to be like different tiers of level like OWI. A is like the A tier and Swiss is normally B, B tier. Um, but I know as time goes on, we've kind of shifted together and we've kind of combined our resources. So now everyone's getting kind of similar coaching and similar opportunities to those who are the best. Because normally I think previously in the past that the best or the A team would normally get more opportunities for training and com- like competing with different more World Cup events and more training camps. Um, but now it's kind of combined. So I think that's really good. Um, yeah. And I hope that answered your question. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, just kind of a follow-up to that. Yeah. Uh, do you notice or do you see that there is going to be any difference going forward now with the, the success there's been in the last few games? Because I, I, I kind of watched the Olympics, or at least until we started doing the show, I would always grow up watching the Olympics, assuming like, oh, the top athletes, like here in Canada, moguls is quite big. You know, they probably have all this funding. And the more athletes we interview, it's like, yeah, unless – you know, you are on a hockey team or something like that. You like, you probably don't have the funding you need, but as soon as that success comes, there's a lot more support that's given and funding. Like, uh, do you see that uh, the success either coming into Beijing or even now that Jakara is coming home with a gold, will you see that there'll be even more opportunities going forward for the entire team? Oh yeah, for sure. I think like through Jack's results, we've opened a lot of doors just for funding. Um, and also just, I think at the general um, level of our team and like in the competition, we, we all did quite well. Um, and as a team, it did really well. Um, so I think that would be great. I'm not really sure like logistically how the funding works really, but I just know it will probably be better now. Um, and I'll, yeah, I think it will be better for sure. But I don't know what the Canadian team's like, but there are a lot of them, but there aren't, quite as many of us and I know there won't be there'll be less of us at the Mm. next Olympics probably too because I know a lot of people are probably going to retire don't know who or when but probably it's hard to say but I think there'll be there'll be less people as well so yeah well I mean here in Canada I mean I I can assume moguls is probably closer to the top for the support you're going to get but even at the same time I mean they they went out of their way on the TV coverage here to say Mikel Kingsbury is one of the few athletes period that Canada sent that literally he doesn't need support because he's got all the sponsorships and all that but even though I mean the deferral points just have their own TV show but I guarantee that they're still struggling to get the support and everything they need Yeah, Um, yeah but it's it's exciting whenever you have a sport that kind of does explode are you finding since Beijing even that, that that there's new interest you getting more followers people coming up and recognizing you saying i watched you you know now i'm really interested in the sport yeah interesting i think it sounds really bad to say but i don't think anyone really knows what mogul skiing is here everyone <laughs> loves swimming and everyone loves the summer sports and things like that um i have had a few of my friends be very excited for me and my family and people i know who i you know work with and study with and all that but I don't really have anyone coming up to me but maybe I should just wear this shirt or tattoo Olympian on my face so people <laughs> think oh they don't know what to say but even then I think the I'd say maybe like football Australian football league yeah NFL all those you know summer sports swimming uh they're all the big shots here in Australia for sure 
and this winter sports and a bit more obscure and people don't really relate because it's hard to ski here mm-hmm. so there's like two a few mountains and it's very expensive so. <laughs> so when you're let's start just when you're growing up when you're growing up uh before you have any type of team that you're competing for uh would your family just go on vacation somewhere or would you go out of your way i want to go skiing and and where would you go well i think it's hard to think because I know it, in my mind, I kind of went on the path and then the, I stayed on the path. It wasn't like I had to necessarily do a whole lot personally to not ski. Like I think my family always loved skiing and we would go away um, and then I would just join a, a camp and I would just sign on to that. Um, I, I, we didn't really go on many ski holidays where it was just the family. I know a, a lot of the camps were my holidays. So I think maybe like two, I went on two family holidays probably in the last, I don't know, 10 years. Um, and the rest has just been ski camps. And then we happened to do something at the end with the team. So it's actually, a lot of it was training focused. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of, early on, maybe the first five years, there was a lot of fun skiing, but I think it was pretty serious um, early on. And it was like competition focused early on, I'd say. Yeah. Did you always know that moguls was what you wanted to get into? Because I think you're saying your sister sort of tried different things out. I mean, eventually she would end up in aerials, but uh, was it always sort of moguls for you? Uh, Well, I think I've always wanted to do something. Originally I did Alpine and that was a big one. And I went to a competition, like I think it was called the Whistler Cup. It was some, that was the first time I represented Australia uh, internationally for racing. And I did that. And then I think I realized that like, this was in 2010. Uh, and then I think I realized that I wanted to, cause I did a bit of trampolining while I was skiing and I had to give trampolining up because of the skiing and it would always collide. So then I was like, oh, I want to do something that has an aerial component and I want to like, it's freestyle. So I did like mobile skiing. So it was the program I found out about at Mount Buller. Um, I would have probably liked to have done slope style in, in retrospect, but I think moguls is pretty sick. And I know the, I was probably a bit too, oh, yeah. I didn't know much about aerials at the time. I think that was kind of just, yeah. I think moguls was the one I chose and it just happened to be, I happened to be at the right place at the right time. I think with that. When did you know that you were going to get to go to Beijing? Uh, like, did it, does it come down to the wire the same as it does here? You know, a couple of weeks out, hey, guess what? You can finally go. It's kind of, I think throughout the season, you kind of hope for these goals and you're kind of like, yeah, like I could, like, I think it's really interesting with qualifying for the Olympics. It wasn't like a long shot for me. And I think if you're on the World Cup tour, you kind of compete against Olympian or you compete against everyone who are in the Olympics already. So you kind of know that you could beat any one of them or you're in the same field as them essentially. So, but it's just more exclusive at the Olympics, but probably like minus 10 people compared to a normal competition. There's only 10 people less. Yeah. So I think I was kind of aware that I was probably going to go, but I obviously had to get results and just do what I could do. So I just trusted my ability and did a lot of mental work. And I think, throughout the season it was becoming more um of a I was realizing it was probably going to happen and then even when they told us it was kind of a shock but it wasn't really a shock I kind of knew in my mind in my heart I knew I'd probably be going but I was just waiting for the confirmation and then when we were there yeah it was that was when things became real but I think for a long time it felt like it wasn't really real and then it's weird because when you're there you like have this crazy dream of the Olympics and what it is but then you realize it's just another competition and it was kind of and obviously COVID but I think mainly it wasn't everything I imagined but it was still unbelievable but it was 
it was everything I, I thought it would be, I think. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of COVID, I mean, anytime we talk to anybody who is out of Tokyo or Beijing, we, we kind of have to ask me, your games didn't get delayed like Tokyo did, but uh, it, yeah. it was, uh, I was actually at the, the, the Calgary 2020 event. Uh, yeah. I, I remember seeing on the news beforehand. And when I came home, the first sort of stories about COVID and <laughs> seeing people in the airport, like I'll, I will always associate that with like the yeah, end yeah. of before the season was shut down, you know, yeah. obviously there's been abbreviated seasons, but uh, have you felt any effects from not being able to compete as much as you have in past years or any differences in the training going into this? Oh yeah, for sure. I think training wise, there was, I think uh, there was a lot of training opportunities, thank goodness. Uh, and we were able to do that. Um, but I know that was because we were, we, we would leave. We basically wait for things to open up. We'd leave straight away. And then we'd just stay in a certain place, like a location for as long as possible, rather than having frequent breaks. Like we normally do, we, you know, fly back home where you fly, you know, you leave and go somewhere else. You can do that. So you'd just be training for a long time. And so that was good in that sense. But I think the mental side was really, that was a, really tough because like you didn't really I felt a lot of burnout and I think a lot of my other teammates did too like I know uh, last year when we were overseas um, we only did two three competitions um, the whole tour normally do like seven or eight and I think we spent the whole time in this place Ruka, which is in Finland and it's never it's dark all day there and it's freezing and there's nobody there we couldn't talk to anyone couldn't go anywhere in the darkness all day it was good like training training conditions are really good and like honestly great uh but i think i actually had a lot of mental health related problems that year and i actually missed the world championships because i didn't want to do it not because of uh i actually was really struggling to stay in it and like stay focused and i just made that decision but other people went on and did it so i'm really happy for them but i think it was a really tough year just to you just needed some, you just couldn't get away. Basically that was the mood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So when you're in Beijing, what was, you don't really have another Olympics to compare it to, but I mean, you've been you know competing in the world cup long enough. What were some of the differences just with like the protocols? Like, did, were you able to get in as many training runs as you normally would? Did, was there uh, I, I know I've heard about people where they have to have this incredibly long wait, like isolating. I don't know if there was still isolation. Uh, was that a thing in Beijing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, when we got there, it was a very long process to get to the hotel. Uh, a number of reasons. I think it was just because there was a lot of people coming in. We were the first people coming into China um, we, that flew in from Europe. And so they were trying to figure out all their systems for getting us to the hill itself. So that took a long time. And then just all the COVID stuff, you know, we had a test at the airport. We had to wait and things like that to see if we were okay or not with the, if we had COVID or not. Um, and that was all good, luckily. Um, and then I remember um, we got, anyway, everything was fine. Mainly. I think the main things were we just couldn't really see anyone in the village. Um, there was just that, obviously that caution surrounding COVID and if we got COVID or not. So we didn't really do many activities that were in the village, especially ones we had to wait around a lot. Um, and also the competition was fine. Everything was actually quite normal. Luckily we'd have a whole season to practice. Um, what we'd already experienced all that COVID stuff anyway. So I think that was good. Uh, and it was, it wasn't new. So that was nice. And everything was pretty normal to us. Yeah. yeah. A couple of things I'm just curious about that. We've actually never uh, asked any of the mogul skiers on here. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, you know, what's interesting is with the Olympics, uh, obviously the competition 
the schedule, the qualifications a lot different than the World Cup. And the World Cup, you know, everybody's going to go and then you're narrowing it down to 16 and then you're narrowing it down to six and so on. Whereas you kind of have that second chance of qualification. Is that something you enjoy or, or does it throw you off because you're just used to the World Cup so much? I think, I think it's really great. I think it actually opens the competition up a lot more because if you make a mistake, it's obviously really forgiving because normally you only get like one run and then that's it and you're done or you're out and if you don't make it. But um, I think with this, people were kind of like able to push th- themselves further and do things they wouldn't normally do because of the opportunities within the competition. And yeah, I think it was really good. And also it's really great for the nerves, you know, if you because I think a lot of people are very nervous at this event because it's obviously a big event and people are like, oh, the Olympics are, but it's just like, yeah, you get that run out of the way and then you can do more later on and still put down a good run instead of just if you fall or something and then you just can't go on, which kind of yeah. sucks. Yeah, and how, how about uh, something else I've never asked about, but I'm curious about nighttime runs versus daytime runs. Cause it seems oh, like primarily, yeah. but I mean, visually on TV, nighttime looks incredible, but I don't know if that's yeah. easier or worse. Maybe the weather conditions play a factor. Yeah. Um, I know nighttime is always a lot better for me. And I think a lot, a lot more people like nighttime because the snow is always better during the day it can be weird if there's sun sun can sometimes make the snow like soft or it can make it like flat so you can't see like if the sun's on the course and it's leaving the course you can't actually see the course and that can happen uh or think weird things like that where the snow conditions change because of where the sun is in the sky and so then it's like one minute it's like rock solid so there's been no sun on it and then the next minute the sun's on it and it's soft and like deep and you're like oh i can hardly just ski the moguls anymore because it's so deep whereas at night it's pretty consistent which is great and also um it's just you can see everything a lot better everything's a lot more exciting so i think nighttime's always, always associated with you know deer valley which is a huge world cup and anything nighttime is just good i think to most people yeah, yeah you know it's funny because i live here in winnipeg and i don't know you've probably never been here i wouldn't recommend coming okay. especially if you, you don't <laughs> we we've had like the snowiest winter we've ever had in the longest oh, time really? but uh, yeah. uh we basically have like very sunny days and you're completely right like as soon as the sun hits it everything solidifies mm-hmm. i mean it, it we had a brush of snow the other day and i'm like you know i'll, I'll just leave it i'll shovel tomorrow and of course the yeah. sun's out and the next thing you know i can't even get a shovel past this so i can't imagine like how much of the 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 course workers have to go out there to smooth oh, things yeah. out and have you ever had a oh, course I mean, i'm sure you've had it many times for different reasons but have you ever had a course that they just had to close down because of, you know the, the snow's consistency just isn't right <laughs> no. i wish oh, there are times where i wish they'd close a course because it was so terrible like just sheet ice like complete ice um no they, they never have thank god but i know there are times where um the jump has melted and they've had to close the top jump or the bottom jump because it's not it's not hard enough to hit like i know in japan when i did a world cup there a few years ago they didn't in one of the training days they closed the top air so we just couldn't do that because it was too hot so we didn't yeah but apart from that no they don't really unless it's really bad weather conditions but generally no now, Beijing, one of the big stories of those Olympics was the weather conditions. It seems like no matter where you hold the Olympics, you're always going to get the exact opposite weather of what you intended. When Vancouver had the Olympics here in Canada, it's like, oh, it's like plus seven outside and it's raining. Uh, but it was almost, it went the opposite direction where they assumed, oh, Beijing's going to be too warm. There's not going to be enough snow. Uh, what were the conditions like? Because it was fairly early on. I think, what, day one, day two. So had, the, had any of the bad weather come at that point? 
Uh, well, there was one day where it snowed a lot. And I know for the boys training, that was the first training day, I think. Um, it snowed it snowed a heap. And the boys were kind of like, oh, this is sweet. Like, that's just fun. It's not really proper mogul skiing, but it's awesome. It's fun to do, uh, do powder skiing. <laughs> but um, they did that. But then it kind of disappeared quite quickly um, because the snow just disappeared. I don't know where it went, but it, it's dry and it probably blew away because it's so, super windy in China, especially where we were. Um, we were near a wind farm, so that was interesting, but it was just obviously not great placement, but, um, overall the weather was pretty good. I'd say it was very cold. It was about negative 30 degrees a few days in a row and not including the wind chill. I think, uh, I remember also it was really windy. And so you'd be in the start gate and the wind would be coming in from somewhere. Um, and your go my goggles kept fogging, like on my competition day, <clears throat> my goggles kept excuse me sorry my goggles kept fogging up and I'd have to take them off and they'd freeze over so you can see you have to like heat them up every run so that you could see um but it was pretty it was pretty good considering other places have been uh and we were in Rooka so it was really cold there too so we're like prepared mentally prepared for the cold weather I think was there any expectation of what it was going to be like in Beijing uh like was there a forecast two weeks out where you're like this is what you guys are gonna be preparing for we we knew it was just gonna be really cold it's always really cold there but no not really like I think just mentally preparing for freezing cold days that was about it (laughs) so getting on to the the competition day and everything uh you know like I said I think you did have one world cup event do we finished 15 or 16 somewhere around there the same spot um, but, uh, I, I don't know if you have an answer for this, if you, if it's even the way you go in preparing, but did you have an expectation? Like I could potentially make top 20 in this, uh, what, w- what were sort of your thoughts just going into the games about where you might finish overall? Um, yeah, well, I know I was really happy with my skiing throughout the tour. I am, a, I think I, I had a back injury a few years ago. No, sorry. I don't even know. It was in 2021, halfway through that year. I got this back injury and I kind of normally do a back full on top air and I normally do a backflip on bottom air. And I had been doing that previously in world cups and stuff. Um, and I know this year I had hardly any training and I think the motion of twisting on one side made it worse. So I kind of didn't really train that. And so then when I came to the tour, I had lower like DD skills, which was still good. And like a lot of people do them, uh, on tour, like the truck driver and the backflip. And I was happy to do that. And I think they were really good by the end. I was really happy with how I progressed, but I know that, um, maybe there was always this thought in my mind that if I'd done my other skills I may have done better so I was hoping I I was aware that I probably wouldn't be in the super final or anything like that unless it was like a killer run um so I had that awareness but also I was just kind of enjoying the experience and I didn't really want to focus on the results like I, I didn't have that pressure luckily throughout the tour I hadn't really podiumed or anything like that um so there, I don't think there was any really real expectation for me to do that so I was happy I didn't have that pressure so it would have been a killer and you know Jack and Britt had that I think um so that but they're very experienced whereas my I was really overwhelmed at my first game so I was kind of like just trying to enjoy it and be in the present and not worry about the results too much but I did end up doing what I wanted to do, even if the, maybe the results didn't quite reflect that, I think I was happy with what I did. So, 
Well, still, I mean, as many Australians that made it that far in the competition, I mean, that's got to be a victory in itself. Yeah. Uh, one thing you said back there, another thing I thought of, never actually uh, have asked anybody yet, but how often is there improvising? Because I'm assuming you go in and you know, okay, I'm going to do this this trick and I'm going to do this on the second jump. But there are a lot of factors. And one of the most common things you always hear is, you know, you want that uh, qualifying position where you're the last one to go. So you know what's come before you. Uh, is there a lot of improvising when you're like, okay, uh, you know, I, I just saw Britt did this and uh, Chloe did this and Jalen Koff just, just totally blew it out of the water. I'm, I'm going to change things up. I'm going to improvise. Does that ever come up? Yeah, I think it, it depends. I think some people have a lot of skills uh, in their bag, you know, like they've, they have multiple jumps they could do at one, like at any time, basically. Um, so I think those people who have that um, are at an extreme advantage. So they're, they're able to improvise. But I think a lot of the time um, people will just do a simpler skill. Um, I know the men do a lot more of the improvisation stuff just because they have more skills um, to do. They have to choose from. I know, though, in duels, the dual mogul event, which isn't at the Olympics, but the one that we do sometimes in the World Cup, um, people do very simple skills for that. And that's that. there's a lot more improvisation there because they don't really mark you as much on the, you know, like how clean it is, they, they mark you on. A lot of the time it's just who gets over one, who beat, because dual moguls, if, you, if whoever d- doesn't know what dual, dual moguls are, there's two people going down at once basically and the person who wins is normally the one who goes over the line and has a slightly better run than the other one. But it's not like you need to be crazy um, fast in singles, like you don't have to be going hard and, you know, so um, basically anything that requires, dual moguls is where it happens the most, I'd say. Um, where the stakes aren't as high for judging, but singles, probably not as much, especially the Olympics this year. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of facts. People were quite nervous and wanted to perform after, you know, not performing. There's a lot of new people at this Olympics too, I think, in moguls. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought up dual moguls too, because that was one yeah. of our big talking <laughs> points during the games. Uh, yeah, and we've asked people about this before. You know, there there are a couple of World Cup events per year where you get to do dual moguls. Uh, the weird thing is, is as many freestyle skiing events as there are, everybody has duplicate events. You know, you have multiple events for aerials even. You have multiple mm-hmm. events for uh, the slope style athlete. Eileen Gu automatically qualifies for three events, you know, just because she's, you know, uh, in one discipline, she gets all three. Moguls doesn't have dual moguls in the Olympics. Olympics. Do you think there's a reason why, or would you be for adding a second event? Would you compete if you had a chance to do two events? Yeah, well, dual moguls is really interesting because I think from uh, it's really fun to watch. It's crazy, and people kind of throw a lot of technical training out of the window, and they just go hard. And it's pure. I think it's pure primal energy, whatever. But I know um, in singles, it's a lot more technical. And so I think if you want quality. I think singles is where you go, but for duels, it's more excitement. Probably it probably would be better for television, but also dual moguls. People always get injuries because they're going so hard. A lot of the time the runs are just crap. Sorry about the terrible runs and people are just try- doing what they can. And it does kind of put, make mogul skiing look like it's all over the place and it's not really great. Like you don't do backflips like that in moguls. Like it's, you know, but I think, um, Perhaps that's in the future it'd be cool because it would probably get more, it'd be more popular, I'd say. So maybe that would be cool. But I think 
<clears throat> moguls would change as a sport and you wouldn't train the same way if that were something that were, would be in there or that replaced singles. Yeah. Um, people would probably be way less technical for sure. Just kind of bad. You don't want it to go backwards, I guess. But maybe it's not backwards. Who knows? It's forwards. I don't know. Whatever. But. Well, it seems to be the way that they're going where it's, it's going to be multiple mm. events for every sport. But I, I have another yeah. thing to pitch you here. Uh, aside from dual, dual moguls, let's, or let's even say combined. We have three moguls events now. So you have singles, you have dual moguls, and team events seem to be coming in a oh, big yeah. thing now. So, I yeah. mean, do, do you see any potential of a team event being interesting? How do you think logistically that would work? Yeah, I mean, I think it would have to be similar to aerials, I guess, where they do, each of them do their individuals and jump and but up for us it would be a run i think we did it and that we've done it before at some small event in perisher new south wales i think we tried it oh, and wow. yeah i don't remember how it went so i didn't do the event and i didn't really i was had to leave so i couldn't see it but i just i'm not really sure logistically i, I don't know it's hard to say maybe you'd have your runs everyone would go and you would just take the best results from we just combine their results, mm-hmm. the two people's results. So well, I, I think that's that's kind of how snowboard and ski cross yeah. are doing it, or, or I think just snowboard cross, uh, where you let, let's say if you had a men's team and a women's team, you know, yeah. you have Matt Graham going down and he crosses, okay, this is your time, and then you go next and your yeah, time yeah. added on top of Matt's, and then you compare that to the others. You know, it would be interesting to have something like that. I, I just Personally, I want to see more moguls in the Olympics. I mean, it's the only freestyle, <laughs> one of the original freestyle skiing sports, and you don't have a second event. It just seems wrong uh, to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. It'd be pretty cool. I'd, I'd like that. I'd like to see that. And it would also, if, you know, there's teams where there's only one woman or one man, um, it would get, it would maybe get the team to consider, get you know, trying to find other people to do the team event with. Like I know at Aerials we have, we really only have women and we have a, a guy who's really good too, but he came on late because of some stuff that's been going on, but he um, is in the team now and he would be great to do the um, team event with, but it's just stuff like that. It'd be, it's encouraging the opposite gender or, you know, whatever to join in if they hadn't before, I guess, or weren't encouraged by people yeah. who were choosing, I guess. Well- and the other interesting thing, and just speaking from what Canada's experience been in the past games, you know, aerials is something that we originally did very well in, but we haven't meddled in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And we ended up meddling in the team event. And uh, the same thing happened in ski jumping. Canada has never had a ski jumping medal. And that mm-hmm. ended up being one of the biggest uh, stories of the entire Olympics is that we medal. We're not necessarily going to medal in an individual event, but you put a team together and it'd be something. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Feel free to skip the question if you want, but uh, okay. let's say you're putting together the Australian A team, the Australian B team. You get to choose one of the male skiers to be partnered with. Who's going to give you your best chance? Who or who would you trust enough that they're not going to wipe out and and ruin your chances of winning a medal? Well, I think that's really interesting because, like, I think people would think, oh, you'd obviously choose the best person. But I think it depends because on the individual. So say you have someone who's really good at jumping, but they're not very good at, you know, consistency and they always do really well, but only once in a while, whereas it's, it's very strategic, right? So I think I'd probably, that's really hard to say because I'm not very consistent at all as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pull it out when I can. You were speaking about but... skiing? Were you just speaking life in <laughs> general? <laughs> everything. 
life. <laughs> but maybe I'd want someone who is consistent. So I would go, well, everyone is, all the guys are pretty consistent. Maybe I would say Brody because he is a mature athlete. Also from like a personality perspective, if we were in a team together, it's not quite the same because we would normally as an individual sports person, you do your own thing, you go about your own business alone before competition. If it were a team event, maybe it would be different. I don't know. Maybe we would have to. So he's a very calm, balanced person. I would probably, he'd probably bring me down and I would bring me down to level and we'd be able to just go from there. But also it's everyone, anyone can have their perks. Like Cooper is a powerhouse. Uh, Matt is obviously a really good powerhouse. Um, Jimmy's all, they're all really good. Um, so it's actually really hard to pick. So maybe, I don't know, uh, it's hard because I, I said Brody, but now I'm starting to think <laughs> of other people. I don't know. I have no idea. We're going to hold It'd auditions. <laughs> We're going to get Matt, <laughs> Brody, and Cooper all on here and then they can buy for your vote. <laughs> and then they have to want to go with me. And I'm probably not the most you know, eligible <laughs> candidate too because you know that. But then, yeah, so the, the fun I'll, thing with a team event it's like it's like putting together an avengers team you know or know, a justice is, league yeah. the, 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 the the co-leads of uh the justice league of australia or whatever I know. I, oh. I, i'm just imagining you know now that you mentioned that about you, you want to have you know uh somebody who compliments you I'm, I'm sort of picturing i don't know if these names are going to mean much to yeah. people who aren't following moguls but like i don't know if i can imagine an akuma harishima Anri kawamura team you know mm-hmm. you might think on paper they're the the two top ones, two of the top in the world, but like, are they going to work well in a team? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, if nothing yeah. else, you can assign the teams and yeah. then you can just prove how you've got the knowledge yeah. there. You know how to put a team together. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's great though, because yeah, those guys, um, they're all a great, they're a great team, the Japanese team. And I know our team, we're all very collaborative. So we do work really well together. So I think actually anyone would be fine. Sorry, boys. Sorry, <laughs> Brody, if I've like dissed you, I'm dissed you, but I think, I think anyone would be okay, honestly. And I think it would be, um, I think, yeah, as I was saying, I think if they had to choose, I don't think I'd be a choice, but I hope I would just cause I'm, you know, a nice teammate, but I think <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say i think it's really hard it's a really hard decision yeah well mm. it, it'll be there you know at some point, some point. Saying, before <laughs> vancouver we'll get there i mean yeah. I'll, I'll pull some strings and if vancouver gets the 2030 olympics then we'll make it a thing yeah. uh what, one thing i want to ask you really quickly about is uh sort of the stuff you've done on the side or we could say on the side but it's actually associated uh you are the first let's say professional animator uh that we've had on off the podium oh when we get to our final set of questions, I'm going to put a little pressure on you for that. But uh, you know, I, I'm guessing this is something you just studied in school, but it, it, it's great. Yesterday I was uh, looking up your website and saw that you had the the movie on there, which you made a mogul's animated mm. film, which is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, tell us a little bit about the you know, animation, just your interest. Is this something you want to get into down the road? Or are, are you putting together like the first ever feature length animated mogul's film? Cause I'll be there. Yeah. Um, well, I did it at university. I did a, undergraduate um, fine art degree, um, animation specific uh, at the University of Melbourne, uh, at the art school there. Like, um, and yeah, I did it for a few years, but I think I was doing a lot of training at, at the same time. And I think I always um, wanted a way to express, I guess, how I felt about sport and just, you know, the nature of, there's a lot of stuff in sport that is very interesting to me, just like from a like a mindset perspective, like a lot of mental stuff, um, like, yeah, like very primal, very cutthroat, 
kind of very like tunnel vision oriented like focused on the goal and it's like quite like inhuman or it's like quite traditional I think because like a lot of the times nowadays people um you know obviously back in the day before you know society is like all this like very like old-fashioned approach to life you know you see a tiger and that you know your heartbeat goes up and it's like fight or flight I think in my animation I always wanted to kind of convey that theme uh because like I always had that going on like that kind of those feelings uh but I think yeah so I wanted to convey that and um so I made like a film after my after I went to the freestyle world championships um in 2019 uh because that was like quite a tough year for me I think there was a lot of conflicts going on internally and externally and I wanted to make a film so I made a film at that was my final film of the, my undergraduate degree uh and yeah I guess it just I entered into competitions that did well um but I think I have animation as an escape because I love I love art um well I love creating animation and storytelling I think that's the main thing and trying to like figure out the world I guess through animation uh but I also really like um just hearing athlete stories like different from my own like I know I was doing this series that uh, it's called Intramentum. It's Latin for in the mind. It's just a name uh, that I made up. But I um, started. I started doing a series with that too. It's not great, and it's. I need to spend a lot more time on it. Uh, but I basically interviewed um, my sister Gabby, uh, and I also interviewed Cat uh, um, Bissett. Um, she is um, a runner, uh, and she actually broke the um, national record. Um, I think she's done it multiple times. I'm sorry, Kat, if I got it wrong, but she's a really inspiring athlete too. And she's struggled with a lot of mental health um, related things. My sister's obviously my sister and she is cool to me as well. And I would like to know, um, I'd like to, I wanted to share like her story and Kat's story and other people's, other women's stories, athlete, like females in sport as well. Like I just wanted to share um, those stories through my animation too so anyway it's kind of a lot of different things going on but mainly the film I made and also the series I'm doing and I probably want to make a film about my experiences at the Olympics something like that I'm not really sure um, but I think yeah it's it's very broad and how long <laughs> does it actually take you to put together like 60 seconds of animation uh takes a long time it took that film I made is about two minutes long it took a year to make that wow <laughs> yeah but that's just with one person so normally you have a production team uh and you hire people to do multiple jobs obviously like in film it's the same in animation you have actors you have you know uh storyboarding where you create the you know mm -hmm. draw pictures and for the film and you have all that stuff and that normally doesn't take it doesn't take that long to make something like that I just had, you normally have to pay people. I don't have that money to pay people. Wow. Uh, and things I don't like think that. you have to. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we, we just said we're, we're auditioning for Cooper and Brody and Matt here. <laughs> <laughs> right there. You, you just cut this down to three months just by uh, getting them to chip in the labor to, uh, to be part of your team. There you go. To teach them, teach them some stuff. About <laughs> art. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's uh it's quite a long process. Yeah. And it does normally, um, it's very short, but I made it very long. But always, I was training at the same time, so I didn't really have the full, my full, uh, you know, it didn't have my full attention. It was like going in between training and animating or training and creating this film, basically. So maybe if I wasn't skiing, I would have done it, in a, you know, a short period of time.
who knows but then but, what what would the movie have been on then exactly <laughs> yeah and you need that part exactly and that's why I love that having two things to do at once so I think it keeps things fresh and I don't think I could function without having multiple things at once to do mm-hmm. you know I think it is good uh, we're going to get to our final set of questions here, which I'm excited about now. Uh, but uh, before we do, we have to ask, uh, we got a, a bit of an answer from Britt Cox on this, but uh, I don't know if you've had any more recent interactions. Uh, Dale Big Smith, um, <laughs> ever met him? Have any stories about him? Know if he's still on his island somewhere? <laughs> Anything? Uh, yeah. I actually don't know. I've never really, I've never met him. Oh, I met him once when I was really young. He was way before my time, I'd say. Uh, He was just kind of ending when I was, I started mogul skiing, I think. So, uh, but I've heard stories about him. I do wonder about him every so often because you see photos of him everywhere. And I do wonder where he is. (laughs) Where is (laughs) (laughs) For you, I mean, this isn't even like, oh, he's before my time. It's like, this could be like the myth of like the the Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster. Dale Big Smith real. (laughs) I've heard stories. (laughs) I know, but I actually do. I think on some level he always inspired me, even though I've never met him really. And I think not only as a mogul skier, but I think also as like a, his work outside of mogul skiing and his, I guess, drive to do stuff with, I don't even know what you call it, item, not like the internet pop-ups, right? That mm-hmm. is like, I think that's really innovative, like combining, doing two different things and still being really like one of the best, really good, but also having this really awesome business that's not really related um, and still being just doing that anyway and I think that's great. I think that was always inspiring. I thought I used to think about it and be like, that's really cool. Mm. I, I like that. And I want to do that too. So another quick question before our final set of questions, I'll just keep adding these on. Another thing about it. Um, the, the, the overall results, I guess, uh, well, let's just mostly talk about the men's side here. I mean, the surprise mm. of seeing Walter Wahlberg walk away with a gold medal, which I mean, it yeah. should, it should hurt me more as a Canadian who <laughs> keeps a picture of myself with Mikhail Kingsbury <laughs> on my wall. But I mean, I saw that. I'm like, well, good for him. Like, didn't see that yeah. coming. Uh, did you, do you get excited watching the results, even if it's not your competition? Yeah, I think I do. I think with the men, it's really exciting because you just never really know what's going to happen with them. Uh, and I think it was quite nerve wracking to watch the men. So I know we were watching it. We didn't, we were watching it on television because we didn't go out to see them because we actually had competitions the next day. So it was just like, we were doing that, but um, I know watching them, it was really intense. It was like, oh, like normally you're just watching, you're like, oh, like that's cool. You know, I'm happy they did a good run. But at this event, you're like, all right, like this is like, it feels like everything, you know. Um, and I think uh, it was very stressful, yeah. But um, I was really happy with how they did. Uh, they all did really well, and I obviously I feel really bad for Matt because um, that was really tough for him because he. He, you know, had that shoulder thing. He, oh, not shoulder, sorry, his collarbone. He broke his collarbone and he kind of was out for a while and he was training. Uh, but I think um, it was just, yeah, it's just one of those competitions for him. And he's always really a really good sport and he handled it really well, I think. Um, but it was, that stakes are pretty high. So, I, yeah, but I, I believe he'll, you know, come back and he's, he's you know, like nothing ever happened and will go on. And, yeah, and I think that's why he's so 
is so good because he just he has that resilience. Uh, but I think everyone did really well. I'm really happy for Cooper. He did super well. Like, I'm also really happy for Brody and Jim. Like, they did really well as well. And I'm just really proud of all the boys, to be honest, because um, I think you can watch them and not have that competitive thing because, obviously, with Britain, Jack and Tay, I was competing against them. So, on some level, you have this competitive edge and you yeah. want to do really well. It's just unavoidable, you know. But I think with the guys, there's no, nothing there which is great. And I think that's why a lot of my other, fr- I have a lot of other friends in other sports because you don't have that competitive thing with them and mm-hmm. it's easy to kind of separate competition and friendship. Uh, yeah. And you have one more world cup event coming up, which it, it's kind of weird when you have like a big layoff before you come back. I mean, does, does that uh, work in your favor? Do you, do you like the fact that you have a bit of a recovery before you have to go back and finish off the season? Uh, well, um, I actually, I'm not going to do that World Cup, um, which is, uh, it was just a decision that a lot of us made. Um, well, we, I think it was just, it's just better for our training sometimes. Like we don't go unless we have to. Uh, and I think Jack's going cause she wants to win the globe essentially. But if you're not really um, close or anything like that, it's not really worth going. Uh, it's just, it's fun, but it's not, um, especially because we live so far away as well. And we just want to kick off, you know, the next four years and start training again. Uh, and it can put back your training as well. If you like, if you're just doing competitions all the time. So, yeah. And you still have a goal of, uh, Milan Cortina in four years. We're going to see you again. I hope so. We'll see. Um, I'm still, I'm kind of deciding, uh, what my direction will be uh obviously i have some time off now to think about it and i think it's natural for a lot of people to question you know every four years what they're doing because it's been such a long four years and with covid mm-hmm. it was a lot as well uh so i think we'll see but i think it's uh it's looking like that will be the case uh to keep going but you never really know so <laughs> Well, let's get to these final questions here. Um, so uh, we actually, we like when we can use an athlete from a sport. Basically what this is, is they didn't do it for the last two Olympics. Although we heard from some athletes, they filled these out and they just never posted online, I guess. But uh, <laughs> on the olympic.ca website, they get the Team Canada athletes to fill out a questionnaire. They actually do it in their own handwriting and all that. Uh, and some of them were just fun questions. And uh, there is a drawing element to this. Now, this is the, the part that I'll get to. We've had... I think at least two athletes who have said, I'll send you a drawing later on of this. So as somebody who's artistically talented, capable of doing this, no pressure, but if you wanted to do your own drawing for any of these, send it through. We will post it on our Instagram and we'll see if you can compete with the bobsledders who have been big on drawing so far. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I love a good drawing. So we're actually (laughs) going to use a Chloe to Frilla points questionnaire here. Uh, so let's just start off with uh, your favorite Olympic moment is. That's a tough one. I think when that, oh, I'm sorry, oh, my dog's barking in the background. Oh, my, my um, children are barking sorry. upstairs. <laughs> it's normal here. <laughs> um, well, I think my, maybe my favorite Olympic moment was the part, it's during, it was during the second competition day when you, you're in the final Sorry, you're not in the final. You're in, you're doing Q2 and you're trying to get into the final and you're kind of in this flow state um, and you're kind of going through, you're doing the training, you're getting the runs, you get, you know, the Q2 run, you just keep rolling with it. You're kind of on like a, you know, you're on riding a wave, you know, emotionally and physically, like you're, 
it's like, yeah, that flow state where you don't really feel nervous. You know what you have to do. You don't feel anything. You just kind of, you know, click into this like state, like, like no thinking stage. Um, you're not nervous anymore. And it's like, I think that feeling is my favorite in mo like all competitions and particularly at the Olympics. I had that um, when I was going into like my uh, F1 run and just like doing that. That was a great feeling. And I think that feeling is probably the best one I had. It was just like being in the competition. Right. Yeah. Well, the next one's going to be uh, a little bit more of a stretch away from the Olympics. Um, <laughs> if I could have any superpower, it would be. Probably time travel because you can, yeah, I think it's great because you, know, you can never have enough time. The world, you know, you run, everything runs on time and, you know, how much time you have to do this and, you know, prioritizing things because you don't have much time, things like that. You know, I think that would mm -hmm. be great to have that. I, I would always say flying, but like time travel, yeah. that makes more sense to me. <laughs> and, and you can win the lottery. You could go back. <laughs> I've actually thought about this a lot. <laughs> you can play back to the future, get a sports <laughs> yeah. almanac from the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could find out. But maybe I would want to know what happened in the future. You never know. Well, you could know how bad. things go in Milan Cortina in four years. Exactly. You yeah, plan exactly. To, to, to perform differently oh, if you need to. Yeah, I know. And then I wished I'd known I was going to come here because I know a few years ago, um, I didn't know if I was going to make it and I did. So I'm happy I did, but I wish I knew that then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. So the next one is a drawing one and it's actually draw a picture of one of your teammates. Um, Chloe drew a picture of her sisters, obviously, but uh, you've got a lot to choose from. We've you know, already planning on auditioning a couple of them anyways. So if you <laughs> wanted to send in a picture, it could be stick figure, whatever you want, feel free to send it in. Um, my least favorite foods are. Capsicum. I hate capsicum. Or peppers. No, you're not American. What am I saying? Capsicum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Um, uh, in America, I always say capsicum, and it's pepper. Peppers there. Oh, okay. So, or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah. I, and I thought, for a second, I thought you are American. You're not American. I'm so sorry. You're Canadian. It's <laughs> a terrible thing. Am I calling you a kiwi? What is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, the capsicum. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so you're not a big fan of spicy food or... Uh, I just don't like, I don't know. I've just never liked it. We have a bit of a joke about it because people, we always make meals for each other on tour and on camps and I make salads for people and I put the capsicum in because I know some people like it, but I don't like it. And there was, oh, you're a team player. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just forget, honestly, but I hate it. <laughs> uh, well, here's, here's one for something you're going to enjoy. If I weren't an athlete, then I would be. I would probably be... Uh, I would be a filmmaker, which I kind of already am, but I'd probably be a bit more in the industry uh, or I'd be a, t a director, a film director, or I'd be an artist or teacher, which is actually what I'm, I'm starting to be a teacher now, an art teacher. So I'm kind of already doing that. Oh, it's not even a, the dog approves too. That's, that's yeah, kinda... the dog approves the <laughs> Nelson, thanks. <laughs> this isn't even like, oh, if I wasn't an athlete, you, you could do it all. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I like it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, your favorite vacation spot is, and then the second part of this is because, which Chloe missed the because on here, which is now bothering me, but your favorite vacation spot and because, the reason why? Uh, I think my favorite vacation spot, I, I really like France, uh, Paris. Um, my dog's barking again. He agrees. 
Uh, no, but uh, I think uh, Paris is really lovely and also there's a lot of art galleries there and a lot of history. Um, and I, I do like Europe on a holiday. I don't know if I could live there necessarily. Uh, but yeah, Europe's great. Love Europe. <laughs> now this one, uh, you could take this as a food, anything, television show, whatever, but just uh, your guilty pleasure is... Probably YouTube. I love watching YouTube too much and I watch it all the time. It's you can watch yourself huge. on YouTube. You are yeah, watching yourself on YouTube right now, right? <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, yeah, true. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so you from the future. This is time travel and time your, your guilty travel. pleasure. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this one, I don't know what they wrote it in French. Uh, apparently it was the only thing Chloe didn't read in English, but it says, draw mm. a picture of yourself, draw a picture of your favorite animal. So Second, if you wanted to, instead of doing a teammate, draw a picture of your dog or your dog yeah. as your teammate, your dog on mogul skis, who will accept either. <laughs> yeah, I'll draw a picture of Nelson, but he's not barking anymore now, so maybe he doesn't agree. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, final question. This one's interesting. I'm going to add an extra one on at the end of this because I always like this extra question. But this one, if I could be an Olympian in any sport other than your own, what would it be? Uh, this is a hard one because I feel like I would say trampolining. But also, it's uh, if I were to do be an Olympian but had no prior experience at all, I would probably say half pipe. So it's sick. Mm. Yeah. Do you get to train on the trampoline much? I know that's one of the things that uh, often mogul skiers kind of uh, bounce around a little bit, post training videos on. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff. We do aerial stuff, and then we do this uh, thing called brassards, which is a, like a drill where you basically have your knee, it's like mobile skiing, but on a trampoline. So you're just mm. trying to like get that speed and agility, but it's exhausting. Yeah, I've awesome seen videos. Like, yeah. It, it, it yeah, looks yeah. very difficult. <laughs> it's very hard. You can only do it for like 10 seconds at a time, 20 seconds at a time. You're just cooked anyway. Yeah. And what about the half pipe? Do you just get to ski just for fun sometimes? Have you ever tried it out? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to be, I suck at it, but I think <laughs> with some training, it'd be all right. <laughs> I want to be better at it. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun. And it looks really cool. Like, just the vibe looks good, you know, uh, mm. when you watch competitions and stuff. Mm. Uh, so this is the last question I'll add on here, uh, which uh, feel free to answer yourself. If you, uh, nobody's done it yet, but you can always be the first, but uh, who is the greatest Olympian of all time? Oh, that's really tough because there's so many things that go into it that make someone amazing. And I think, from like a results standpoint, you could say, you know, gold medalists, but also there are people who just have injuries and they're resilient and they've come back from them. And it's like the amount of mental and physical work that that's, that's, you know, they've had to go through just to even be at, at an Olympics. Um, and then also people who, yeah, haven't had opportunities that have made it because of like, you know, that just like, yeah, just physical work, mental work. So uh, I'm not going to answer that either. It's really hard. I don't think, yeah, I can't. I don't want to do anyone an injustice, to be honest, because everyone, I just understand because I, you know, I am an athlete. I understand how hard all the nuances of it and things that people don't see that a lot of people do, even the, sad to say, but the worst people who are in the Olympics who don't ever get the result they want, they still work really hard. Everyone mm. works really hard. So, yeah. It's hard. So no answer. Sorry. So I heard Dale Big Smith. That's all I heard there, right? <laughs> I kind of thought about him. I was like, Dale Big Smith, but then also, yeah, things are different now. He was doing skills that women are doing now. And it's, yeah, 
it's hard. I'm not sure. He he was pretty good though. It was pretty good. Yep. And there's he can a, be a I teammate. Guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Myself. No. Just, um, <laughs> Why not? No self support. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Not sure. Sorry. Can't answer that one. Uh, now, uh, before we let you go, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Um, where people can find your animation, how they can follow you on social media, anything like that? Yeah. Um, well, I did a really, I actually really didn't do a very good job at explaining my whole animation philosophy, which is fine, but I'll let you guys interpret it, interpret your, you know, my own work. Uh, so you can go to my Instagram, which is say so. So it's C E S T S O P H. It's meant to be this is so in French. So if you don't know, <laughs> I was wondering Google about that. that. Yeah, <laughs> Google Translate. This is Sophie. And that's the username, basically. Um, so say so is my Instagram handle. Twitter handle is also say so as well. Uh, and then my website's sophash.com. So it's just S O P H A S H. Dot com and then you can find my animation and then also i also have a video uh i have a facebook which i actually can't get into but you can see <laughs> some of my work <laughs> i locked myself out of it because i re- removed myself as an admin and i'm the only admin. <laughs> i didn't realize you could even do that but you can so no one owns <laughs> facebook owns the page but you can still see my work on there. <laughs> um, and then I also have some other films that have been in festivals previously that you can find. Um, and it's been, you know, a, yeah, a bunch of festivals all over the world. So you can, if you look up my name, my website and films and yeah, all those things. And a LinkedIn, I have a LinkedIn as well. It's just my name. So yeah. Not you say your name. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 same on it. Just my name. <laughs> I mean, Perrin Lafont instantly got it. Other people will take the yeah. explanation, right? <laughs> yeah, all the French. That's why I did it. They get it. And, yep. yeah. <laughs> all my friends speak French. All my good friends are either Quebecois or French. So that's what <laughs> them to know. It's exclusive. <laughs> Uh, seriously, it's great having any mogul skier on here. Uh, it's great hearing about stories of Beijing and everything like that. Um, w- w- you already see behind me, and anybody watching on YouTube can see my mogul's wall with all my Canadian athletes. You can't see right now, but I have a- another frame with all the non-Canadian athletes. I have Corinne Lafon on there, Benjamin Kavay, mm-hmm. Kimo Harishima, Jalen Koff. I don't have any Australians. And uh, mm-hmm. I've mentioned this on our show that every time I go to the World Cup, it's like the Australians, they compete and they're gone right away. So mm-hmm. next time you're in Calgary, make sure to stick around. We could do like our first ever video interview and then I could add you to my wall of fame here. <laughs> Yay, I'd love to be on your wall of fame. That'd be <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> And huge, huge, huge thanks to Sophie for uh, doing this interview with us today. Uh, And you can also check out our social media. We definitely uh, have posted or will shortly post her drawing that she submitted to us. She came through. She did not disappoint. She submitted a drawing as part of one of those questions in the final set of questions there. And am I crossing my fingers that we're going to get some more mogul skiers on and maybe some more Australian mogul skiers, uh, possibly even some Canadian ones, possibly some American ones. Who knows? We'll we'll get more and more mogul skiers because that will make me a very happy host. As for what's coming up, uh, we do have another great interview next week. Uh, You can consider it a two-in-one interview because we're going to be talking to two Canadian cyclists who both medaled in Tokyo just last year. We have Lauren Genet and Kelsey Mitchell on the show, and uh, it's an interesting chat because we actually get to talk to them both at the same time. They both came into the sport very recently. Uh, Both had their same Olympic debuts in Tokyo, and and both very tight in real life. In fact, this will be our first ever 
two-person interview in the same location. They're literally on the line with us, sitting next to each other the whole time, and it also, like this one, was a lot of fun. And we'll continue plugging away, getting more interviews for you going forward. Uh, some more Beijing athletes, Tokyo athletes, athletes from Olympics past, plus our regular Olympics episodes that we do just with myself, Ben, and Jared. So stay tuned, more to come. And as always, if you haven't already, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can find us. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel because uh, all of our interviews now are, I guess the majority of our interviews, are going to be posted as video interviews on YouTube as well. This one right here, if you want to listen to it again uh, and actually see Sophie in person, then uh, you can check out our YouTube channel. Until next time, my name is Colin. Shout out to Jason Momoa, and as always, turn left.